Welcome once again to another episode of the Family Prosperity Podcast. I'm Michael Redden, and today we're going to answer two very important questions. How do you get your kids ready to take over the business, take over the family wealth, take over leadership? And what if your children don't want the business? Well, that certainly doesn't mean that you have to sell it or get rid of that asset. A solid foundation in family governance will allow you to develop your children to fulfill the roles they need to to keep all the assets together regardless and keep on growing. You really got to focus on wellness, development, and leveraging what you have. And let me tell you a story here because one particular family, one iconically wealthy family in the United States, really embodied this. They really took this lesson to heart, and family governance allowed them to thrive, even when a lot of their children weren't going to uh, be in the family business. It was never intended, but they knew there was going to be that responsibility to customers, to the family itself, and to employees. And this story is about the founders of the New York Times. Adolf Ox was the founder. He never envisioned that his daughter would be running the paper. He never thought that. But when she was a kid, he introduced her to the editors and to the reporters, and he started you know, teaching her about the business of running a paper. Because he understood the role that she'd play and personally got involved in her development. All he had was the one daughter. And he knew whether she ran it or not, She'd have a responsibility to this thing that his family created and that this would be the crowning jewel of the family's uh, achievements and their wealth and that fuels everything else that they have, which is a lot like where you are right now with your businesses or if uh, you don't have an operating business but you have that money, that wealth, your investments. Those are the things that fuel the opportunities you have to do good in your community, to do good by each other. And you need to protect it. He understood that early, okay? And so he personally got involved in her development. Now, he ran the paper from 1896 to 1935 when he died. This was absolutely visionary, okay? He was going to develop a woman for this way back then. Now, we've come a long way as a society. Remember, this was 1896 to 1935. Women couldn't even vote yet when he started running the paper. Keep that in mind. That's how much of a vision he had. That's how brave he was, how he wanted to try things, how important the sense of family was to him. So don't let anything hold you back. Don't let any of these um, societal constructs where you're thinking, ah... I don't know. That's just not how it usually goes. That's not how people usually run things. I never thought about that. Don't let that hold you back because these guys were successful. So what did he teach her? He taught her his values, told her the stories, let her see these things in action, let her see how he operated, let her see him live these things. Specifically, he taught her about charity because it was very important to him that you take care of those around you, your community, and your family. And remember, he died in 1936. So he got to see the depths of the Great Depression. So I'm really sure that that's kind of where it was at. 
He also taught her about curiosity. He was very curious about society, what was going on in the world, and his role in it. And that right there, curiosity, that is one of the main virtues of an innovator, of a visionary. They're curious. They want to know. They want to look. What if? What does that mean? That's also one of the very important things that a board member must must have. They must be curious about what's running on, not just be a rubber stamp. So this was going to serve her no matter what role she had. Additionally, he taught her a love of family. You're going to see this. The families that succeed, they love their family. Their family is just as alive as their businesses. It has its own values, its own goals. It's living. It can live on forever. It's just as alive as their companies. And he told them the, the importance of protecting the family business, the New York Times. It's the goose that lays the golden egg. It is the font from which everything else springs. Without it, those opportunities dry up. They can't do those things. They start back from nothing. It's an asset protection kind of mantra. That's what gets it going to the next generation. It gets it going further. He also embodied the attitude required for successful dynasty wealth. Now, this attitude is one that a lot of us just don't have. It's tough for us. Okay? He saw himself as the leader of the business and the family. Now, we don't really have a problem believing that. You know, it's our family. It's our business. We built this. This is ours, and we're going to control it. A lot of us have that. But he took it a step further. He stepped back. Because he truly believed that his success was the entire family's success. He separated himself from it. This belonged to the family. And we've talked about that stepping back, that change you've got to make. When you divorce that from it, then you're not... You know, clinging on and controlling with that. The business serves something bigger than you, and you serve something bigger than you. That's how you can step back and let go. Start developing these things. Start looking on to your next act. These features that he's got, this attitude, if you're serious about passing wealth on for generation to generation, about eliminating that chance that you might go from shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves with your family, if you want to be one of those two in ten that succeed perpetually, look at Adolf. And look at this attitude and how it shapes his family and the rest of the story and what they do together. Because he also shared that success with his family. He lived what he preached, okay? He hired plenty of family members, but based on merit, not entitlement. We've talked a lot about that, right? Wealth doesn't just ruin your kids. Wealth doesn't help your kids. It's neutral. Okay? Whatever they're developed, they're going to go and do and they're going to get. None of this can be about entitlement. And if they didn't measure up, Adolf got rid of them. There's a very famous story of his where he hired his brother-in-law. And his brother-in-law was a drinker. And Adolf didn't hesitate to fire that man. He fired his brother-in-law because he was a drinker. Now, that may have caused problems and issues in many families, 
And I bet it did for his too. But, you know, he was trying to pass on better values to his children that it doesn't matter if you're a blood connection, if you're a blood relative. If you don't measure up, you've got to be out because this is about what's best for the family, not for any one individual. You know, who is your family? It's not these individuals. It's something bigger. And we can't let one individual threaten the family harmony, threaten the family's progress, threaten the family's wealth, because then we can't take care of everybody. And he really lived that. And he also wasn't threatened by hiring outside talent, okay? This is a big one that really sometimes can get in the way. But it goes along with that family development piece. Now, if you've read my books or you've been taught anything about family governance from me and Mason, one thing that you'll note is one of the most important family policies is the family employment policy. And that includes the role of blood family relations, the role of in-laws, and the role of people who aren't in the family at all. Just because a family member's not there and can't fill the role doesn't mean that we get rid of the business, doesn't mean we get rid of the asset, doesn't mean it's in the world if we got a plan for it. And Adolf did. Now, interestingly enough, of course, one of these talented people that he hired was married by his daughter. And we've talked about that too. It's really hard in your family employment policy to say only leaders can be family members or anything like that. Or to say, the in-laws and the spouses, they're just completely out. They have no place in it. If you develop your family members, your children, to really be able to run that business, to be family, be family board members and things, they're going to be exposed to these folks. And chances are that one of them, sometime in some generation, somewhere, is going to fall in love with and marry an executive that you developed. Does that mean that it's the best thing for the family, for the company, for you to just toss them out? Now, I'm sorry. You married the family. Now you can't take over. Now you can't do what we groomed you to do. No, that's silly. But a lot of us have that feeling, and we shouldn't. And Adolf didn't have it either, okay? And when he was done, he passed it on to his daughter's husband, Arthur. Now, the paper was owned by a trust. This isn't uncommon, okay? But it wasn't a super restrictive trust, okay? It, they, they had some flexibility, and you'll see how this kind of goes on. But the family owned it. The beneficiaries were still the bloodline. But there was no problem with Arthur still running the company, getting paid the fair wage, and have those things going. It can be done. And this is a very important asset protection lesson, Okay? Because it, since it was in that trust, no divorce is going to take it away. No creditors were going to take it away. They had that separation, you know. Arthur set this up well. He got to survive that first generation, and then he passed it on, and he did all these things correctly. You're going to see this is a really good case study about how all these things come together and produce a great dynastic outcome. Now, Adolf's daughter and Arthur had four kids. And these kids would be the beneficiaries of the trust and, you know, I guess, figuratively through that, the owners after Arthur and his wife died. Now, these kids were spread out in their age, but they took the lesson to heart and they said, you know what? 
Adolf trained his daughter, prepared her for these responsibilities, prepared her with the values, and that's really enriched our lives. It's enabled us to keep the paper going, keep the family going, do all the things that we believe in. And it worked really well. So we're going to do the same thing. So they started to teach their children that. And Arthur's younger, youngest son, well, actually his only son, there were three girls and a boy, Arthur Jr. His nickname was Punch. At age 11, he joined his sisters. And the family attorney started giving them seminars, giving them education. That's one of the biggest things we point out that needs to really happen, okay, is that you've got to start this. And when we go with the family governance for families, once we get the policies in place, this is the first thing we look at is we get this development plan going. Because if your kids are 20 and come into the business, they've got to be developed if they don't have the skills to get in there. If you really want to pass on your values, you got to start really young too. So you can start as young as 11. This kid was 11. And he was going through seminars to learn really specific lessons. He had to learn what that inheritance might mean. So he learned to avoid conflict and to handle conflict. That was one thing that they specifically taught to the children because you know there's four of them. People might always agree. It was a little different when it was just the one daughter, but they see these things kind of coming, right? And we always talk about how you need that dispute resolution policy. Boom, they've got it. They're teaching it. They learned the family's role in the community. That it was one of service. They were expected to serve their community, to be good stewards, to help people. Too much is given, much is expected. That was that family identity, the family value, that family public image. It's a big part of your wellness side of your family governance. And then they also learned another important thing that was also taught and lived by Adolf. They learned that they could join the company. They could even get into the highest levels, but only if they merited it. They learned you can benefit from it because the trust's there. It's going to benefit you. It can fuel your other passions. It can develop you. It can help you start your own business. It can help you write your book, pursue your art, pursue charity, do whatever your passion is. But just because you're a blood member of this family, does not mean you get to run this company. This company is more important to the community, to the employees, to the customers, and to this family than it is to any one person in it. And remember we've talked before about how you pass your values on. You can tell them this. But stories are the best ones. They provide examples. They share an experience. And I'm sure they told them the story of how Grandpa fired his brother-in-law. I'm sure that sunk in. We're not just preaching it. It's real. It's happened before. That really puts a lesson home. That's why your stories and things that you have about these things in action, they need to see you do them. And if they can't see you do them, you still need to keep them down, collect them, and share them. Because that's how we learn as humans. And also they learned about stocks, they learned about other kinds of investments and trusts and how to run companies. So as you can see, they were preparing these kids. 
to either be executives or to be board members. They're preparing them to get along as a family, to have a sense of family and love for family so the family could continue on. And they were preparing them to be board members and be good with money so that money wouldn't ruin them. And they'd have those shared responsibilities together. So they prepare them to take care of the money and the people. That's what family governance does. That's why so many of these transitions fail. That's why people make a lot of money and then go broke. They And once they reach that point where they pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they've built it all by their own personality, there comes that point where you can't do it all yourself. You don't just hand it off to your kids. You got to teach them. You got to prepare them along the way. This development piece is important. It's never too late to start. You can do it in your 20s, your 30s. But it's better if you start really young. And that might not be possible in that first generation. You may be saying, look, we we didn't do this. We didn't have it. It still will bring your kids in their 20s and get them ready to either be board members or be executives. You don't have to get rid of the company that way. That also helps you separate yourself from the business, gives it more value, and solves the entrepreneur's dilemma. Family governance does that for you. So let's look at how this played out. It wasn't just the blood relatives they developed with this, okay? Punch was the youngest of the kids. If the girls weren't going to take over and Punch was the youngest, there was a decent chance that there was a possibility that either Arthur would die before Punch was ready or when Arthur was ready to retire, Punch wouldn't be ready. Don't deny this part about it. That's another reason why it's important to be prepared and develop your talent, both inside the family and without if you need to, because You won't be able to protect the family's wealth and opportunities if you force this. Now, wouldn't you know it, they'd look to an executive that married in the family before. They did it again. It doesn't have to be this way. It could be one of those key employees that aren't married. You just got to develop them. I mean, all of your companies and corporations, you know, nowadays, they want to develop their employees. They ask them where you see yourself in five years. They provide these opportunities. You try to groom them and develop them. You got to do your family too. So Arthur Sinaloa Orville, he did a similar kind of development plan. And I really want to point this out to you because obviously they didn't have Orville from birth. And Orville wasn't ready the day he joined the company. They groomed Punch from 11 years old to go through it. So Orville was put through a development program to get him ready. Your older kids in their 20s and 30s who weren't that way and aren't ready, they can be put through that. Look, Orville did. If none of your children want to run the company, they just want to be good board members, you can put a key employee through this. You can go out and sure you can hire an executive somewhere. Take your chances. Or if you've got some talent in the company, you can develop them. Then you know what you're getting. You groomed them. You shaped them. So when Arthur was 70, he passed the president's spot on to Orville. Uh, It was best for the family that took over. Punch was just 35 at this time. And the New York Times wasn't a small or mid-sized company. It was a pretty large company at this time, right? 
And while there will be some kids who are ready in their 30s and things like that, more often than not, they might not be, okay? And so, Orville took over. Family's plans were in motion. They had the succession lined up. They were going to have Punch probably take over as soon as Orville was done. The age difference in the children, a lot of us have that, kind of makes that there. And in future generations, there's going to be this age difference between cousins, if we've got the family members in there. But life threw them another curveball. Unfortunately, Orville was only president for two years. Orville had an enlarged heart condition, and he passed away two years later. Punch was just 37. Now, all those best laid plans were there, and it didn't go the way they wanted. For a lot of families, that might tear it up. That might make people panic. Not so for the ox. And this is where the other elements of family governance kind of came together in these family development plan, in this family development discussion, to really save the family and save the company. Because at this time, at this time, there's a disagreement. Okay? Arthur wasn't dead, but he wasn't president. And he thought his son was too new and too inexperienced to take over yet. He wanted his son to do it at some point, but he just felt he hadn't had that seasoning yet. And he wasn't ready. His wife and his daughters disagreed with him, though. They thought that Punch was ready and should get a shot. Now, remember, Arthur doesn't own this. Okay? The trust does. But they came together and they talked about it. They went through their family decision-making process. They went through their family dispute resolution process. Remember, they were teaching the girls this from the beginning and Punch too. And instead of tearing the family apart and creating a schism, the family decided, so Arthur relented, that Punch should take over. Punch became president from there. He was successful with the support of the family, and that's pretty much all she wrote for it. Now we've had the torch passed to two generations. And this family development tradition teaches us a lot of these things, that it is possible to groom them from there, that when you do that and you build them up, you don't have these insecurities about things. What do I do? Do I even keep it? You could. It's a foregone conclusion at that point you're going to keep it because they could be developed as board members or leaders. And then you also have that other piece that you now know how to develop your talent inside your organization. And I bet a lot of you already know how to do that. You developed employees. You groomed them. Why haven't you turned that towards your family members? Why haven't you done that for your children? Do you think that would solve so much? How that would cement the family piece there? And you need to pass those values on. If you haven't done it already, start telling those stories. Get them going. Get them going young. If you need to bring professionals in to help, like they brought in the attorney, that's what we do. There are a lot of people out there that will teach them and help you structure that too, but that's one of the big things we do with families. And let me tell you, it's so rewarding to see this all play out. Children to come into their own. Families to come to life. 
family governance made sure that the wealth didn't ruin the children, didn't ruin this family. And they had trials in there. I'm sure it wasn't easy, but they did it. And they hit all those same things we talk about. The basis of family governance. The decision making. The four policies. And developing your talent. We've talked about that plenty of times before, but this family really got it. Really got it. And it's something we've lost. And that's why we have such poor outcomes. And we need to get back again. Deliberately develop your next generation. Punch took over. The sisters, they thrived. But it wasn't in the business. They didn't intend to, but they were good board members. All family members benefited. Whether they owned it or not, whether they were blood or not, they kept the family mission going. And this family's probably going to have wealth forever as long as they don't lose these issues. And they did it back in the 1800s through 1930s when Adolf set this up. Sounds a lot different than the way you've run your business. If you've inherited it from your relatives, from your father, from anyone else, I bet it's a lot different than how you kind of ran it. And I bet you start thinking about this, some, a lot of the problems that you face in those challenges wouldn't have been there if you'd done this. I bet you felt like you weren't ready when you took over. That maybe you weren't taught everything you needed to know. What if you'd had this? How would that have changed things for the better? So how do you get started on this? Well, you take it like those regular chunks. You, for yourself, think about five years ahead. What's your life going to look like? If it was ideal, really shoot for the stars, okay? What's the best version of you in five years? Write it down in detail. Don't just talk about business. Don't just talk about money. What about how your community? What about your relationship with your family? If you've got charitable things you want to do. If there's talents you want to learn, maybe you want to learn to play guitar. Maybe you want to speak another language. Write it all out. The full you. Because this is about your happiness as much as it's about the family's success. Then... You sit back and you look at in three years. Where do you want to be in three years? This should be, if, if I did everything I need to today and got to that year three, if I had these things accomplished, I have a really good shot at getting to my five-year goals. Then you look at one year as a family and you guys all decide every action you're going to take towards these goals. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And this is where you put out those bites. And you don't just do it on your own. The whole family looks at these one-year plans and they say, you know what? I bet I could help you achieve that one goal in that year. I've got this connection. I've got this talent. Maybe I could help you do this. You don't have to do it on your own. That's, that's how you kind of get that stuff shared. And when you're mentoring the family members and showing the story, that's where you share those stories and you come together and you have those things going. Same thing happens for the kids. 
And you look at this every year. If you don't meet that in three years, oh well. You keep striving for it. You may abandon goals. You may add goals. You get that breadth of experience that way. But you, there are some things you got to all learn. You got to learn how to get along. You got to learn about investments in the company, those necessities to maintain it. And the rest of it is your passions, your happiness, your, your goals. You might need a little help with this. It's a little different. Sometimes it's hard to not think outside that box. That's why you got to have a good advisor team to help you. And folks with experience helping you build these programs who've looked back on these things. Look back on how stuff goes. That's one of the things we do. It's one of the things a lot of other folks do, too. But it's one of those things. And if you want our help with it, you can go to familyprosperitypartners.com and kind of look at that piece and, uh, and let us know. If you want to know kind of the basics of this and kind of that background, you can get our books and things from there and kind of look at it. But you can also reach out to your networks and kind of see what's there. Keep listening to the podcast because we're going to be going over a lot more of these things in detail. And we're going to be bringing other experts and things on there. And we're going to talk about these particular problem sets. And if you're having a particular problem yourself, go to familyprosperitypartners.com. Send us out an email. Tell us about your situation. Maybe we'll bring you on and we'll talk about it. But this is why family development is so important. It cements that family governance. It teaches everyone to use it. It brings your family to life and you share it with the next generation. And you get them ready. And it's never too early really to start. And it's never too late. It's too important not to do it. And the ox did it. And use them as a really good example. That's it for today. I hope everybody learned something. Because I learned so much when I was first looking into these things. And I was first watching the ox success and how they did those things. The lessons were great. And let me tell you, when I started looking at other families that succeeded, very similar things went through. And that's why we developed this as a part of our process to guide families through it. You really need to have it.